This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it cannot be destroyed. By my co-host, John Syracusa. I'm Dan Benjamin. Today is Friday, June 8th, 2012. I'd like to say thanks to our sponsors, Hover.com, Squarespace.com, and AppsFire.com. We will tell you more about them as the show continues. What are you going to do? We're going to do a show, Dan. Let's do it, then. All right. And we're going we're gonna to be in and out fast today. <laughs> That's what she said. Good. Couldn't resist, could you? Nope. Cannot, All right. No, no, no self-control when it comes to that particular opportunity. No choice. Time for some very brief follow-up. Very brief. Okay. Yes, we've received comments about that. So the first item is the most recent item, actually, that I just saw fly by the interwebs. Gruber linked it, and I've seen it from many other places as well. This, this YouTube video showing the supposed iPhone 5 back cover. Right. I thought you were going like, to talk about the little oil rig that was the hoax no, video. <laughs> no, 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 that's not relevant. It looks just like the thing we discussed on the last show when we were looking over those pictures from 9 to 5 Mac. This is a long video of a person holding whatever that thing was. Once again, <laughs> no particular supporting evidence that this is or isn't an iPhone 5, merely that it is a piece of metal that looks like the thing we discussed last time. Right. So there's no new information here, but if you want to see... If you want to decide for yourself if uh, this is something that Apple would build, this gives you a better look at the part. And I would keep in mind uh, the fact that tons of phone-like shaped things are manufactured in China, including tons and tons of knockoff phones that look similar to Apple's phones. Well, and so, in fact, not just similar, but as identical as possible. So it doesn't surprise me that something like this would be made and maybe even made just based on seeing those photos because the, the, the bootleggers or whatever you call them, the people yeah. who are doing this kind of thing want to get the jump on it so they can start selling the new iPhone before it even exists. And once again, everyone remember the wedge. We saw all sorts of evidence for that and no wedge. It would be great if they introduced a wedge-shaped phone this year. That'd really throw people off. <laughs> you missed it last year, but now here it is. No, right. I, I will say personally that uh, I'm starting to believe these rumors, the thing that's keeping me from believing them mostly is the the change, the change of the dock connector, basically. The little the smaller port at the bottom. I just can't bring myself to believe that Apple's actually going to change that dock connector after so long. But you want them to, for the record, you hope they do. Yes, I do hope they do. And this this thing looks exactly like what uh I think a perfectly acceptable, really cool new iPhone would be. Uh but with no actual some support for this stuff other than hey look here's some pictures it's hard to to put money on it if i had to bet i would place money on it being real but it's like 50.0001% like it's right on the borderline how, how do you feel about the about uh the idea that this is actually a product that apple's going to introduce it's like if you had to bet against or for Oh, I, I would bet four and I would be probably more. You said you would bet four fifty one percent. I would go seventy five percent. I mean, I think this this is pretty much whether or not it has that surface on the back that you see in the video. Right. Whether or not the borders of it are black. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about those particular details. But as far as the form factor of it, the fact it's a little bit taller, it's a little bit longer, the, the way exactly the way you would expect it to be. I mean, these are. 
and it's a little bit thinner, right? Uh, that was one thing that yep. they're showing in there. Well, well, they, they, they were, there was no screen on it, so you mm. can't tell. But it, I would assume that it's still going to end up being thinner, even when you put the screen part on. I mean, I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. If we break it down, I'll say the the. And just the other day, I was trying to. I was. I had the headset plugged in to the iPhone, and I was trying to take a picture of something. And you've got the wire just going right off, right in front of the camera. And like, there's another reason that the thing should be on the bottom. So I think the fact that I think it's almost a guarantee at this point, I will say my predictions, my votes, my take on it. And I, I want to hear yours again, but I'll start with mine. A hundred percent. Yes. We're going to see a, uh, a headphone jack on the bottom. A hundred percent. Yes. We're going to get the more 16 by nine style screen. Uh, yes. I will say yes, definitively yes to those two things. I'm ready to be to see that I'm wrong on Monday, but or not Monday, probably in October. Guy, think I don't think we'll see any of this on Monday. Do you? Uh, I don't know. I I can't like it. All, it all goes back to the discussion we had a couple shows ago about the reason you would show this is because you want to have a big long developer conference exp- explaining to your developers how they're going to develop for this taller screen. Yeah, and it's hard. It's weird to do that without actually showing them the phone. Uh, yeah, in, independent of when this thing ships, I think we both agree that we would like it to be real because it looks cool and yeah. it's got lots of features that we like, right? Yeah. And, and, and both I, of us I think the dock connector to, sounds right too. I think yeah. that they have to change it. And both of us say if we had to bet our own money, we would bet for, I just think it's barely more likely than unlikely and you are more confident. So we'll, we will all find out if not, and again, if there's no announcement at WWC, it doesn't mean we were right or wrong. I, I, the only the time when we'll know we're really if we blew it or not is if the fall comes and goes and Apple introduces a new phone and it's not this one. Then we'll know we were all wrong. But Can I ask you a question as an engineer? Yep. Sure. Why do you think that they put a glass back on the current iPhone? Why not? S- symmetry. Just just purely a, an aesthetic an aesthetic reason. Well, it's it's good for radio transparency, better right. than a big metal thing, right? Okay. Uh, and it's not as cheap feeling as plastic, but it's clearly part of the design. Look at the thing. That's, you know, it's the symmetry between the glass in the front and the glass on the back. They're exactly the same thickness, exactly the same color. It's totally a design feature. And hey, you get the engineering benefit of, you, you know, the antenna works well because it's, well, the antenna's on the outside. But anyway, uh, I guess, what is every antenna on the outside? Yeah, it's got the Wi-Fi one there too. Uh but yeah, it's, it's not as cheap feeling as plastic, uh, and it's not a piece of metal, and it doesn't dent, and, you know, it does crack. But yeah, I, that's what makes me wonder what the heck that back panel is now. Like, I guess the antenna is still in that ring thing, if we assume this thing is real. Yeah. Uh, so maybe it doesn't matter that the back panel is metal. Is, is it going to dent? Is it going to scratch? Is it flexible? I don't know. Many interesting questions. There. Is there a coating on the metal border on the black as it painted do you know what that is or what it's purported it sure to be lo- it sure looked like it It could be like anodized or one of those other treatments where it's like more secure than just painting it on there but yeah. if you look at the video you can see the black one as you noted from the picture like it looks like it's black and who knows how they made it black do you think that would be for aesthetics as well or do you think that that has something to do with trying to address the reception non the non-issue reception non-issue I'm thinking for aesthetics only, okay. but who knows? Uh, I mean, I, like how much I, it's got to be for aesthetics. I think you need more of a gap than would be provided by any sort of thin coating like okay. that. All right. All right. So we have to move on from this because I do have a, cu- a couple more follow up items and then we try to fit in our topic. 
Uh, we were talking about WWDC last week and about the TBA sessions, all those sessions that are to be announced that we don't know, quite know what they could be. We talked about any possibilities last time. Sebastian Brew, B-R-E-A-U, was the first person to mention right after the show uh, something that we didn't discuss, a possibility that I didn't entertain, which is strange because this is like my little hobby horse. Uh, and I, we talked about how like, well, if it was a new platform or something else that involved a lot of different uh, sessions to let you know all about this new platform and all the various aspects of developing for it. So that would, that would account for all these TBAs, right? Well, the other possibility or another possibility is that Apple could be introducing a new development language. And if you introduce a new development language, that also spawns many, many sessions about, oh, okay, mm. you know, using Apple's new language, learn the basics of the language, learn the tools that use it, uh, you know, learn how to be efficient, at, like all sorts of sessions. Because if Apple was to introduce a new language and it was a secret, there would be tons of sessions about it. I am not particularly confident that that's going to happen, uh, which may seem strange because my whole big thing is I think Apple does need a new language and a new API. But Based on my experience last year, I, I think Apple has shown that they're very committed to Objective-C and to improving Objective-C. Now, I could be having the wool pulled over my eyes. could be, yes, they are very committed to Objective-C and improving Objective-C, and they continue to improve it. But they could also say, well, we're not going to be able to improve this forever. We need some new fancy replacement language. Let's have the Skunkworks project. And then in 2012, boom, we'll, we'll reveal it to the world. So that is another possible explanation for all those sessions. Um, we'll revisit this topic in a moment. My final bit of follow-up here is about Marco and Marco's Big Week. That should have been the title of that. Marco's uh, Big Week? Stuff. Marco's Big Week, yeah. yeah. It's like Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, so uh, Marco Armand, <laughs> who has the Build and Analyze show, he had a very big week this past week. Uh, briefly, the things that happened to him were, he's the creative Instapaper, by the way. He uh, has an Android version of his app that he didn't have to write. So that's item number one. Number two, his application, Instapaper, is the Starbucks free app of the week. If you go into a Starbucks, apparently you can get a little free piece of paper thingy with a promo code on it lets you download Instapaper for free, saving you a whole $5. Right. Which is very important for someone who buys a cup of coffee for four bucks at Starbucks. <laughs> it's like getting uh, your coffee for free. Think of it like that. Exactly. Uh, and Marco put an ad for his product on the Howard Stern radio show. He's a big Howard Stern fan. So am I, although I didn't follow him to satellite radio, but I do miss him. Same, uh, same here. Yeah. And you played the the ad on the air as part of the beginning of that episode. So if people want to hear it, they can go check it out. And the thing about his ad read is listening to him read it. My question was, he talks about Instapaper, like he's reading from a script, but he's also, you know, ad-libbing as well. Yeah. And then the ad-libbing part, he talks about how, you know, he uses Instapaper to save his web pages for reading later and so on and so forth. And the question is like, does Howard actually use Instapaper? That's the question. Right, because not all radio shows feel, hosts feel like they have to. They'll say, "Oh, this is great. I use it all the time." When they don't actually use it. Well, if you're a fan of Howard, you've heard him do a lot of the. It, there's there's different kinds of ad reads that he does, and I will I will ask you this question: Why would he? There's no reason for him to say that he reads it if he I mean uses it rather if he doesn't actually use it. Why would he say that? Did I mean? I I, I guess we could uh, we could have asked Marco. Maybe I'll ask him. Uh, when you start talking again, I'll send him an, an IM or something uh, and ask him if that was in the script. But my understanding, and I, I believe Marco actually may have even said this, that he didn't he didn't ask him to say that at all. I'm pretty sure that he didn't. No, that can't. That, that was all. It was all. Yeah, it was all ad lib. Right. So now here, here's the thing with that. Like he's 
Howard is not a particularly technically savvy person. You can hear when he tries to describe how to, you know, download Instapaper and where to find it and stuff like that. Uh, but I think it's conceivable that he does actually use Instapaper, and here's why. Instapaper is one of those things, still, I think, is one of those things that sort of people in the know know about, like Mac nerds or people who are associated with the Mac community or follow it closely or read Mac websites, like, you know... It's one of those things that, that we all know about. Oh, sure, you know, even if you don't use it, you can say, oh, well, surely you know about Instapaper, right? And a famous person like Howard Stern is sure to have some tech nerd friends or the people in the know will be attracted to him and they'll clue him in. Oh, hey, Howard, I see you've got an iPhone. Here's what you need to get for it. You need to get this app. You need to get that app. You should, you know, one of the things those nerds are going to mention is, oh, you should try this Instapaper thing. Yeah. Because it's just one of those apps where people, people like us know about them. And I guarantee you, someone like us is conveying that information to someone like Howard Stern the second he sees that he gets an iPhone. So I think it's entirely conceivable that Howard Stern does use Instapaper, not because he like discovered it on his own or as a tech nerd, just because people around him will be telling him, oh, you got an iPhone, you got to download this app, just like we all do to the people that we know. And if you're very famous, you're guaranteed to have one or many more people like us talking to you about that. So I think it's conceivable. Uh, and then f- the final thing he mentioned, the reason I brought up this thing uh, his show is on Build and Analyze. Marco offered his theory of what all those TBA sessions could be. Uh, he said it could just be that iOS 6 has a whole bunch of new stuff in it. You know, the new mapping stuff that we know is coming. Maybe there's new APIs there, Siri APIs, all sorts of new features that we don't know about. Uh, it just could be that iOS 6 has lots of stuff, and then you need lots of sessions. They don't want to reveal what those things are. And that theory is depressingly plausible. <laughs> that no TV apps, no new TV OS, forget about any TV hardware, forget about TV entirely, no new language. You know what it just is? It's Mountain Lion with like, you know, Retinas, a couple of few APIs for Retina stuff or something like that. And it's iOS 6 and iOS 6 has a ton of features and that's it. So this has brought me down from my high of last week going, oh, what, what could all those TBA sessions be? Now I'm like, yeah, it's probably just a bunch of iOS 6 stuff and a couple of Mountain Lion things. So now I'm really down on the idea that anything having anything to do with TV will be mentioned and I'm feeling more like it's just going to be a bunch of iOS 6 stuff. So I've, I've come down from the high of last week. Maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle between my optimism of last week and my pessimism of this week. But uh, Marco was right that conceivably all those TBAs could be a combination of boring things that we already know that have nothing to do with mm. television or a new phone introduction or anything like that. I mean, as as the rumor bell got really cranked up last week, many people tweeted the idea that, okay, well, at WWDC, Apple needs to update, is apparently up, going to update every single product that it makes in every possible way they can update them. You know, people just got too excited. <laughs> but like, if Apple doesn't rev the entire Mac line, put out a new iPhone, the only thing I haven't heard is like, put out a new iPad. I guess it's too soon for even crazy people to mention <laughs> that. You know, a new iOS, a new Mac OS X, and a totally new platform with new, like, there's no way they can do all those things. And it's possible that they won't do any of them except for the boring ones. So we will all just wait and see. Uh, at this point, things are too scrambled that I can't even handicap like these possibilities. And if I had to bet on something, I would bet no TV hardware, no TV apps. Uh, and, and that's those are the only strong feelings I have about this. And the reason I keep coming back to no TV apps is uh, this has been discussed all around the web, and we've discussed it many times before, is, is the input problem. Like, I don't think they're going to field any new TV hardware. And if they don't, how can you have apps on that little thing with the cruddy remote? I mean, I guess you could have like HBO Go type of app where you watch HBO things and just move a menu around. But 
The second you allow apps on that TV, third-party apps, people are going to want to do games, and you absolutely cannot game with that stupid little remote. You can barely use it as a remote. Uh, and they can't say, oh, well, if you want to play games, you got to buy this Bluetooth controller from Apple or something like that. It just, it just feels like it's not time for TV apps. You need to have some sort of, you need to deal with the input problem in some way. And I can't imagine TV apps existing without games. Like, it just seems crazy to me that they're going to say, you can make TV apps, uh, but you got to control them with a stupid 5 by controller. You know, because people are like, well, I want to put Angry Birds in there. I want it like 100% guaranteed people are going to want to make games for this thing. And I don't think it's tenable to say, now you can write applications for this new platform, our television platform, but you can't write games because the input sucks. Or the input is weird or whatever. So, Or we require you to buy a $600 device to create that input. Yeah, or even like a $40 Bluetooth gamepad controller or something like that. Well, like just the Wii Universe, Wii Universe, what is that thing? Uh, yeah. we'll, that's, that's, that's the topic okay. of the show, believe I'll, it or not. I was hoping it would be. Yeah. So that's how I feel about WWDC now. I've gone into the depths of despair about what could possibly be announced. And now I'll just kind of make myself numb until I'm sitting in that chair and waiting to see Tim Cook walk out on stage and talk about whatever he's going to talk about. You will be there front and center. Well, probably like way off to the side in the back, but <laughs> it depends on how early I can wake up in the morning on uh, Monday. You are, you're a uh, back of the bus kind of guy. No, I'd like to be in the front, but you know, those people line up at like five in the morning and uh, yeah, can't do that. Okay. All right. So that's it for follow up. Wow. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. I'm on a schedule here. All right. Well, so let's do a quick sponsor then. That's Mr. Schedule. Yep. Squarespace.com, everything you need, you, John, everything you need to create an amazing website. Here's what they do. They host it. They give you really awesome analytics. They give you 24-7 support. What can you do with it? It's a completely managed environment that lets you create, maintain, that's the key, a beautiful website or a blog or a portfolio or a photo gallery, whatever it is that you want to do. Your site, your domain, they give you, if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain name registration with it. But you get full control over your content. You can customize the site any way you want. You can build a website, you can create a blog, and you can do it faster on their platform. They've got tons of templates. I think they've got more than 85 of them. It'll integrate with Twitter. It'll integrate with Facebook and your favorite John LinkedIn. It'll hook up with them. They've got an iOS app. They've got an Android app. You forgot to mention Marco had a, an Android version of Instapaper as part of his big week. And they let you do all of this just beautifully. It's the, it couldn't be easier to use. You try it for free. You can get started in 30 seconds is all it takes to start and launch your own site. You don't need to give them a credit card or anything. And if you like it, you find that you like it. I have a coupon code for you. It's Dan sent me and then the number six. Dan sent me six. That will give you 10% off. And if you sign up for a year... You get, I think it's another, uh, is it 10% off? And then in addition to the one that I'm giving you, and you get the free domain name. And if you sign up for two years, you get even more. And these guys really are great. And if you're a developer, there's a website I want you to check out. Developers, I'll put this in the show notes, developers.squarespace.com. Tons and tons and tons of really advanced stuff that you can do with Squarespace to make it work exactly the way you want it to work. So go check them out. Squarespace.com, developers.squarespace.com. Thanks very much to those guys for making this show possible. What is this thing called? We, we verse, we universe, we you, we university. Well, actually, 
let's not get ahead of ourselves. What okay. I'm actually going to talk about today is, you know, it seems kind of weird that WWDC is on the, the horizon. I'm about to jet off to San Francisco to attend it. And we had last show all about what could happen and we uh, at WWDC, and we did a little follow-up about it today. And while I'm at WWDC in San Francisco, we will do a podcast where we will surely talk about whatever actually is announced at WWDC. Yeah. But today's topic on the show right before Apple's conference is a different conference entirely. Uh, I want to talk about E3, the Electronic Entertainment Expo. Uh, and it does tie back to Apple in some pretty obvious ways, but mostly I want to talk about uh, the state of the people who were showing stuff at E3. Now, I'm probably going to, I'm going to describe E3 in broad strokes. Uh, A lot of people listening to this, if you are a gamer, are going to know almost everything I say, but I think a lot of people who listen to the show might not be gamers at all, judging by the people who complain when I talk about games. So I'm going to give a lot of background info on the state of that gaming industry and what E3 is all about. So forgive me if I bore you if you know all this stuff because you read gaming news all the time. So E3 stands for Electronic Entertainment Expo. It's the three E's there. And it is the trade show where the people who make video game consoles show their stuff and PC games and stuff like that. Uh, This show has gone through many weird cycles of life uh, at one point, it got so big that they canned it and said, oh, this, this show is just getting too big. We need to just scale things back. And now it's kind of growing back again, kind of like South by Southwest getting very big. Uh, only hasn't reached that breaking point yet. So, But E3 is a long-running show. And what E3 is and what it means to the public and the people who show things at E3 has been changing over the years like any trade show tends to. Uh, and I think we'll talk about that at the end, uh, how it relates to Apple. Now, but for now, the E3 still is that place where the people who make video game consoles show stuff and PC games. And video game console is a little box that you buy, that you hook up to your television set that you play video games on. I think most of us know what that is, but not everyone knows the term console. Uh, so we're in a weird phase of the history of video game consoles that you connect to television sets. Uh the consoles tend to come in generations, which are not exact, and they're, they're really staggered from different manufacturers, but the gaps between one console product and the next tend to be pretty regularized. So I went to Wikipedia, and I looked up all of the, the gaps in ge- console generations. Uh, and for people thinking about these generations, like maybe you remember the Atari 2600 when you were a kid, if you're a person of a certain age, or you remember the NES, the Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, or the Sega Genesis, and of course today we have the the, you know, the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation. You might remember the PlayStation 2 and the PlayStation 1 behind, behind that. Those are various generations of consoles. And so console makers produce a product, sell it, and keep selling that exact same hardware. Maybe they make it more cheap to build and make it smaller and use fewer chips inside it, but the exact same hardware capabilities for many years. And then they, they sell games on top of that platform. And the games are licensed from the manufacturer who makes the, the console. And so the console maker itself also makes money for every game that you sell. So that's the life cycle of a console. Ship it uh, and then keep selling that same thing for years until you come up with your next one and your next one is much better. It's not like a, a personal computer cycle where every year or, you know, in the PC industry, every couple of months, a newer, more powerful PC comes out from each manufacturer. Game console manufacturers make a product and stick with it for a while. Uh, and the main reason they do that is uh, the fat part of the profit curve 
curve is after you sell the game console for a while and it becomes cheaper to build, but you keep the price more or less the same. Like they do drop the price a little bit and you start selling lots and lots of games and you make profit on those games because the games, you know, the, the people who sell the games have to give you a little bit of money to be available on your platform. That's like free money for you, right? So here are the gaps in years uh, between the console generations. And these are all U.S. release dates. Historically, the release dates are all over the map. They used to release in Japan much earlier than, than they did in the U.S. And they released in Europe at a different time. So I just picked U.S. release dates uh, pretty much arbitrarily. I think the gaps would have been similar if you concentrate on some other region. So Nintendo is the longest running player in this market who is still standing. And their console generation gaps were six years, five years, five years, five years, and six years. So five five and change is like what you expect in the gap between a, a Nintendo console. They'll come out with something like the NES, and you could expect five or six laters is going to be the Super Nintendo, and then five or six laters, and years later, the Nintendo 64. Uh, and that's how many years? How many console generations is that? One, two, three, four, five. That's five generations, right? And the last gap is the gap between their current console, the Wii, and their upcoming console, the Wii U, which they say will ship... Uh, Sometime this year, I'm assuming they're going to try to hit holiday, the holiday season, right? And we'll talk more about the Wii U in a bit. Sega, who's actually out of the hardware business now, their gaps were three years, six years, and four years. So they're kind of more variable, but it still averages out to about five. When did they make their last console? The Dreamcast was their last console. Oh, wow, that was a long time ago. 1999, it was introduced. Yeah. Uh, Sony, who is a rel- another relatively new entrant into the market, their gaps are five years, six years, and seven plus years, and the seven plus means we don't, we don't have a firm date on when they're going to replace the PlayStation Three, uh, but it's not this year, so it's going to be 2013 at the earliest. So it's at least seven years. So their gap has been increasing: five years between the PlayStation One and Two, six years between the Two and Three, and now at least seven between the Three and whatever they're going to produce after, presumably the PlayStation Four. Microsoft, which is an even newer entrant into the the market with the Xbox. Their gaps were four years and now seven plus years. So it was four years between the Xbox and the Xbox 360. And they're not going to replace the Xbox 360 until at least 2013. Because again, they showed at E3 and they did not have any new console to announce this year. So at least seven years. So, and, and by the way, since Sega's out of it, it's basically Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony who are, who are remaining in this market. And Sony and Microsoft are both uh, running, the, their current products are long in the tooth like the, neither one of them has ever had a gap this long between two of their consoles and so here we are at the, the e3 uh show and they all have press conferences and neither one of them had a new console to show they had they had to show things for their existing console so we're we are in uncharted territory because normally this is the this is the year when everyone would be showing here's what our new console is to replace our old creaky one get everybody excited about the new capabilities of the new hardware and then show them a bunch of new games that are going to be on the new hardware games that wouldn't be possible on the current hardware that didn't happen this year instead they just kept showing games for their existing line of consoles that are at this point very old in terms of the technology in them like we're rapidly getting to the point where your cell phone has more power than these consoles we're not there yet but it's it's getting close like and and you know an ipad 3 is starting to creep up on the the power of uh, you know the Xbox 360. Not there yet, but it's getting close, uh, and that's that just just shows how old the hardware is in these machines. Uh, so this current generation of consoles, this is the PlayStation 3, the Wii, and the Xbox 360. This current generation is was defined by the Wii. 
We talked about this in Hypercritical episode 48, Blue Ocean. Uh, when I hear more about the history of Nintendo. Uh, and the reason I say this generation was defined by the Wii is because, uh, well, here's the, the first part. The bottom line is how many Wiis have been sold across the entire world? Answer so far is 94 million. Mm. How many Xbox 360s? 66 million. And how many PlayStation 3s? 63 million. So the Wii is number one with a bullet in terms of number of uh, units sold, like 94 million and the others in the, are in the, the mid-60s to low-60s, right? Uh, and this is on top of the fact that both Microsoft and Sony did the thing that they uh, that console makers besides Nintendo have traditionally done, which is release a product knowing that you will lose money on every one of them that you sell initially because it costs you so much to manufacture them in the first you know six months or year or whatever until you can get costs down, right? Nintendo historically has always made a profit on their hardware from day one, which is really weird in the console industry. So not only did Nintendo sell 30 million more consoles than, than their next closest competitor, they also uh, made money on every single one of those. Meanwhile, every PlayStation 3 that Sony was selling in the first you know whatever months they were losing money on, and same thing with Microsoft. Uh, and on top of that, uh, Nintendo also got tons of that fat accessory profit money where... You buy your Wii, and then you go and you buy a bunch of accessories for it, uh, like the, the little remote controls. They were like forty bucks each, I think, at launch. Uh, they were selling, you know, the the the, the inert plastic steering wheel. It's just it's just a, a piece of plastic shaped like a steering wheel that has zero electronics in it. Right, you just, and you just snap your controller into it. Yeah, fifteen bucks for that. That's like just pure profit. It's like those fifteen dollars screen protectors for the <laughs> for the iPhone. Right. Uh, and people are buying those things. And again, you don't just buy one because you want to buy like at least two or you can buy up to four of these things. And then they had the $20 Motion Plus accessory that snapped on the back of the Wiimote to add a gyroscope. Like the cost of accessories associated with the, these Wii consoles added up. And probably like when you dole it out that like that in little increments, people don't notice like, oh, I'll buy the Wii. OK, well, I'll get a remote. OK, we should get another remote. OK, let's get a steering wheel. OK, let's get Motion Plus. It adds up. So uh, that's the first reason that the, the Wii really define this generation. Uh, and also, also, on the money front, Microsoft had a hell of a time with the Xbox 360s. They had tons of problems with the overheating and other hardware issues. And they had a huge, like, I forget what it was. I could try to find this number, but uh, they they wrote off, like, I think it was something like a billion dollars or something close to that, just on warranty repairs for Xbox 360s. Because they were good, you know, they were a good company and said, okay, we have manufacturing defects, we had a flaw in this hardware. If you have any problem with it, send it back to us, we'll send you a new one. And talk to anybody who is a gamer and who got bought the Xbox 360 on the day it was launched, and they'll tell you how many Xbox 360s they've had. Some people are on like the sixth or seventh one because they were early adopters and just kept getting unlucky. It took Microsoft a while to figure out how to make reliable hardware, and, the, and they took a big loss on that. Uh, on top of the loss they were taking on the hardware from the very beginning just because it was expensive to build. So not not a good uh, uh, showing for Microsoft and Sony in this generation in terms of getting their hardware stuff under control. Uh, now, I, when I mentioned this, I, I had a Twitter post on this sometime this week, and someone said, oh, yeah, well, uh, Nintendo sold more Wiis than, anybody, than uh, Xbox 360s or PlayStations, but the attach rate on the Wii is really low. And the attach rate is how many games the average buyer of a Wii buys for their system because what you really want is, okay, I sell you this game console and that's like the Razer and they want you to buy Blades, which are the games because the, the console maker makes a profit on every game that's sold. And so they said, well, yeah, people, lots of people bought Wiis. 
but they didn't buy as many games or they bought a couple games and they just stopped buying them. Whereas the Xbox 360 and PlayStation owners are still buying games. So the, now the money engine is turning the other way. Wii owners are not buying an, as many new games for their Wiis as the, the Xbox and PlayStation owners. And that is true. The attach rate is lower for the Wii. Uh, but I don't think it's enough to overcome this huge deficit uh, in number of units sold. And I think because even though the attach rate is lower on the Wii, the proportion of of the games sold for the Wii that are first-party games is much higher than the other consoles. So as far as Nintendo's concerned, it's pretty darn good, even if their attach rate is lower, simply because they make more profit from the first-party games than they sell than they do when a third-party uh, person sells a game. Uh, and uh, so there's two other reasons that this generation is defined by the Wii. The first is that this is kind of a come, be, come from behind victory. In the previous generation and the generation before that, a Nintendo was not doing well. Like Nintendo was the king back in the NES era and SNES was kind of slipping, but by the time Nintendo 64 and GameCube came along, they were not doing well. So here are the sales numbers for the previous generation of game consoles. PlayStation 2 was the clear winner. It sold 154 million units of, of that console. Xbox was in second place with 24 million. So that's you know, 154 to 24. GameCube was 21 million and Dreamcast was 10 million. So GameCube was a distant third place and everybody was totally behind the PlayStation 2 with 154 million. That was just uh, Sony was massively dominant because they dominated with PlayStation 1 and they dominated even more with the PlayStation 2, right? So in this generation, for the third place guy, the guy who fielded the GameCube to come from behind and sell more than those other two, I don't think anybody predicted that. Uh, so that that's one reason this is a big story, but the, but the the second reason is that it clearly a big story is because the Wii, as we all know, ditched the traditional console controller for this crazy remote that you wave around, like, you know, it, put, a, put a little wrist strap on so you don't destroy your uh, the television in your house. But yeah, <laughs> it's motion control. And that's what vaulted the Wii to the top. Uh, they decided to bet the farm on a non-traditional kind of control, and they implemented their Blue Ocean strategy, which was to go after people who the other two manufacturers are not targeting. They said, you got, you know, we're not going to target the hardcore gamers who buy game consoles every single year. We're going to target the people who never thought they might be interested in a game console. The moms and dads who, yeah, they'll buy it if their kid begs enough, but they're not really interested in it. And, you know, we'll make a bowling game and a tennis game and things that anybody can play by waving their arms around. And that strategy paid off big time. Uh, and once the Wii sales trajectory was clear to its competitors, like once the Wii came out of the gate and the other guys looked and said, okay, they're doing this crazy motion control thing and they were probably sitting back with their arms folded and go like, let's watch them crash and burn. This is nuts. They're going to try to make people wave a TV remote shaped thing around. It's stupid. All right. And then once they saw the sales take off, they're like, all right. Uh, they, both Sony and Microsoft, each brought their own motion control feature, features to market mid-generation, which is weird. Another weird thing that you, you tend not to do. So Microsoft uh, released the Kinect which is a multi-sensor, multi-camera thing that you points at you and can figure out where your body is. And PlayStation launched the Move, which is kind of like uh, the Wii Remote, except it's got a big glowy ball on the end that gets tracked by a camera. Uh, it's more like kind of like those motion capture things that you see in those making of special features on your uh, DVD or Blu-ray discs, if you still watch those. Uh, now, this is weird because historically, non-bundled peripherals only penetrate to like a fraction of the market. Uh, and like you, the, lots of say how many people uh, bought Xbox 360 66 million people bought Xbox 360 but you can't get all those people to go out and buy a Kinect and the same thing with the PlayStation so you have 63 million PlayStation 3s 
But since this is sold after the fact, in the middle of your console's life cycle, like, you know, in year two or three or whatever, it's hard to get those people to come back into the store and pay extra bit of money for these extra peripherals that the thing didn't come with, especially since some of them are expensive. I forget how, uh, I mean, they, they did it as a, a unit price. Like, I have the move for the PlayStation. I think it was like 100 bucks all told, to get mm. all the stuff. Uh, so here are the, the penetrations so far, according to, again, numbers from Wikipedia. Of the... Uh, 63 million people who bought a PlayStation 3, 8.8 million of those have bought Move. So that's a 13% penetration to their installed base. Uh, and Connect, they've sold 18 million Connects. That's 28% of all 360 owners. And so it's harder to get game developers to target these peripherals because you know you say, okay, we we sold uh, 66 million Xbox. You should make a game for our platforms, like, uh, and you should support Connect. You're like, yeah, but only 28% of, of that 66 million have the connect. So you, the developers are foregoing a huge portion of the market, the vast majority of the market on that platform, if they target your particular motion control. And by the way, if they make a game for connect, that same game can't be like used on the move as well, because they're just too different. Uh, and the, in the case of the Wii, a hundred percent of Wii owners have Wii motes so they can wave around. Like right. it comes with the thing. You can't play it without it. And that's one of the reasons that, aftermarket peripherals, which have been tried many, many times during the the various generations of consoles, always have a difficult time because it's so hard to get everyone to buy it. And and all you're doing is basically subdividing your installed base into uh, smaller and smaller fractions when really what you want to be doing is as time goes on saying, look at this huge base of people we have who bought our console. You can make a game and they'll all be able to go out and play it. Uh, Nintendo, uh, on the bundling thing, has done a couple of interesting attempts to break through this barrier, and what they do is they would bundle the hardware peripheral with a game they know is going to be popular, or they hope is going to be popular. So, for example, Star An Fox. incentive. Yeah, like, a, it's a, I don't know what you would call it, it's like piggybacking on there. So, Star Fox 64 came with uh, the Rumble Pack. That yeah. was the, the first thing that you could, that would shake your little controller, a feature we all take for granted now, where it's got a little, you know, vibration motor type thing, kind of like they have in a cell phone or whatever, but that's stronger, usually multiple ones of those motors, to shake the controller in your hand, which sounded crazy when I first heard about it. But if you bought Star Fox 64 because you wanted Star Fox 64, you got that rumble thing whether you wanted it or not. And so you're like, all right, well, this thing comes with the game. I'll shove it in there, and I guess I'll try it out, right? That was a way to get the rumble pack into the hands of as many people as possible. And then later, like when they came out with Zelda Ocarina of Time, it took advantage of the Rumble feature, but didn't require it. Uh, of course, unless you're a completionist and you wanted to you know, experience the game as it was meant to be experienced, right? So e- even there, Nintendo was cautious. They're like, okay, well, we'll try to get this Rumble feature out. You know, We didn't ship it on day one. We'll try to get it out to as many people by attaching it to a game. But we can't require it. We can't make the next Zelda game say, oh, and by the way, you can't even play this game unless you have the Rumble feature, because then people will be angry. So they said, okay, our new games take advantage of it. Is that, that's an incentive for you to buy this peripheral, but it doesn't require it. That's, that's very difficult to do with something like Connect because, oh, it takes advantage of Connect, but it doesn't require it. Well, it's, games really need to be designed around the Connect. It's very difficult to incorporate it as an optional extra. A little bit easier with the Move. Some games have traditional controls and also Move-enhanced controls that like take regular control with a, a little extra bit of stuff that you can do with motion control. Uh, and in the Wii generation, Nintendo had to do the same thing where... They came out with the Wiimote, and then later they said, we really want to add a gyroscope to this instead of just accelerometers. And so they came out with a $20 peripheral that you plug into the bottom of the remote that adds a gyroscope. 
And then they made a game that required it, like the follow-on to their most popular launch title, Wii Sports, right? Wii Sports Resort required that little peripheral add-on thing. Uh, and so that was their attempt to say, okay, it didn't come, I don't think it came with it. I think you had to buy it in addition to it. But they were a little bit more brave. They said, okay, we're going to sell games that require Wii Motion Plus, this gyroscope thing. Uh, and since it's only 20 bucks, we think people will buy it and stick it on the end of their remote. And then the next thing they did was they built in that gyroscope ability into all future Wiimotes. So if you buy a Wii right now, all of your Wiimote things have the gyroscope inside them to further cement the idea that like this is what the really how the Wii should be. And so if you have an old Wii remote without the gyroscope in it, you really need to buy the peripheral for it or buy a new remote. Uh, I don't. I couldn't find what the penetration numbers for Wii Motion Plus are, but I think it's got to be better than thirteen or twenty eight percent. They made the latest Zelda game require it too. By the way, you cannot play the latest Zelda game without Wii Motion Plus. Uh, so they they were getting braver about that. Uh, but the reason all these things are going on is because, well, especially for Microsoft and Sony, is they're like, look, we're we don't have a new product to sell to people. We don't have a new game console to sell to people. We need to keep motivating people to buy our current console and buy new games for it. So they have to keep adding stuff to it. Uh, and so this year's E3 was strange to me because it showed two of the three big names in the industry on stage trying to tell you why you should continue to be excited about a product that's six years old and just getting older. And so they had to show new games and new things to take advantage of the peripherals that they've been trying to sell for the past few years. Uh, I'm going to say it was strained, but it was it was very it was very strange for me to watch. Uh, the current situation, though, is that the PlayStation 3 and, and the 360 are still getting pretty regular crops of what they call AAA games, like expensive, multi-million dollar, uh, you know, that's how much the budget was for these games, uh, titles that their base will get excited about. And they're just kind of trying to distract you from the fact that, yeah, you're going to play this game on the same exact game console that you bought six years ago. So... Uh, for example, the, the Xbox 360 is getting Halo 4. Uh, Halo 1 came out on the original Xbox, and then Halo 3 was the last iteration on, on the current Xbox, and they're like, well, we've got a Halo 4. We'll just keep increasing the number. And Halo 4, does it look better than Halo 3? I guess, kind of, but it's only there's a limit to how much better it can be because it's still running the Xbox 360. But that's still like a flagship title. They're, and they're, It's really weird to see an important franchise game like that at the end of the life of a console. Normally the consoles kind of go gently into that good night and you say, okay, and here's the <laughs> Xbox 720. And, you know, of course there's not going to be another Halo game for the Xbox 360. You got Halo 3. That was, you know, and you got Halo Reach. Like, how many more Halo games do you need? We can't just keep making Halo games for the 360. We really need to concentrate on our next console. No, they said Halo 4 for the Xbox 360. Uh, you know, keep paying attention to us. Uh, and on the PlayStation side, the thing that really caught my eyes was reading about... Uh, uh, this game called Beyond by Quantic Dream. And that company has created a brand new game engine specifically targeting the PlayStation 3. Nobody creates new game engines for a console when it's six years old. Like, shouldn't everyone be looking to the future, to the new console? Like, game engine development takes a long time. These guys decided we're going to embark on an effort to make a, a new PlayStation 3 targeted game engine for a new game that's going to ship when the console is six years old. It's weird. Uh, it's it's very different than than the way things have gone in past console generations. And by the way, speaking of Quantic Dream, I'm sure you have not seen this, Dan. But no. any anybody in the 
the gaming world probably has. But for you, Dan, for anyone who's interested, I think I put this in the show notes. Quantic Dream is a one of those game companies that I like that makes kind of weird, arty type games. Are we allowed to read about any of these games? Because you've, you've instructed us before not to read about. Yes, I would instruct you not to read about this. But one of the things that Quantic Dream <laughs> did is they made a... They're French, right? Yes, I think they are. Okay. Have I they already made, read too much about them? Yeah, you shouldn't know. They made uh <laughs> it's not a demo, it's not a technology demo. It's kind of like I don't know. It's I, I think they called it a demo reel or something, but it's called Kara, K A R A, and it's a, a 5 minute long little thing that doesn't show a game, but it's kind of like a miniature movie. And it's not even a miniature movie about a game they're going to make. They just wanted to demonstrate some of the things that they feel that they can bring to the next game they're going to make. And that game is called Beyond, and it's very different than this. But the Kara thing is worth checking out. It doesn't, it's not a game at all. It's not even a demo of a game. It's more like a tiny short film, but it's all rendered in real time by a game console. So I guess in that respect, it is showing off their new engine, but it's also showing off like their ability to extract performances from actors and actresses and map those performances onto 3D models inside a computer in a way that, that is as compelling as any movie or book or anything that you would read. So I put that in the show notes. Don't watch it now, Dan, but after the thing is over, take a look at Kara. It's very interesting. I actually wish they had made a game based on that idea. Instead, they made, they're making this Beyond game, which is based on a different idea that's not as interesting to me, but I withhold judgment until I play it. Uh, so the move, unlike the Kinect, uh, worse than the Kinect, I think the move really has not set the, the world on fire. The uh, Sony's little thing where you put a remote in your hand and you wave it around to control stuff. They're trying to get developers to incorporate it into their games, but it's not, it's not, it's just not, uh, you didn't see much emphasis on games with move control in this year's E3 presentation from Sony. So it's like even Sony is like, well, we felt like we had to react to uh, Nintendo's motion-based control, but it just doesn't seem like it's catching on. They're not very enthusiastic about it. Uh, developers, I think, on the other hand, are still trying to get a, a handle on how Connect works. Connect again is the thing that has like a camera and a bunch of sensors pointing at you and tries to figure out where your body is and then react to that. So you make your entire body into the controller. Uh, the thing that Connect has going for it is that one, it's the most intriguing, like it's the most different than the other ones, and two, it's clearly the best suited of all of the current crop of motion control peripherals to dance and fitness games, which, believe it or not, are are big business these yeah, days. Yeah, very popular because it can tell where you're. Your body is actually positioned in theory, uh, whereas any kind of Wii or PlayStation Move dancing game is just telling where the remote is and how it's shaking. But it has no idea if you actually have your arms out or if you're actually sitting down, flicking the remote around. The Kinect is the only one that can actually tell where your body is. And again, for fitness, if you're doing some sort of fitness exercise, it's very easy to fake out these fitness games uh, the same way people would smack the, uh, the little... Remember that plastic pad that you'd have to run on for, for the NES? Yeah. And people would just get down on their hands and, and they they smack the two yeah they tap it with pads. their hands yeah yeah because again you're just fooling yourself if you do that but connect clearly has strengths in that area but it remains to be seen that the connect is really good enough to uh to do what we think it can do and we have to wait or do we have to wait until the connect two to really get something that fulfills the promise of the connect uh, and by the way every time i mention anything about the wii and motion control and the move and connect i get angry gamer email from people who tell me that they, they debate whether any of these things, the like Connect or the Move, were actually reactions to the Wii. Uh, to an outside observer who knows nothing about the game industry, it's, it's the cause and effect relationship is easy to make. You say, okay, we uh, Nintendo comes out of nowhere with motion control, and they they come from third place to go into first place in terms of console sales, and the other two guys notice and say, oh, 
wow, this is a thing now. We really, we need to have some sort of reaction to this. And so they feel their own motion control stuff. I think it's obvious that those things both are reactions to the Wii. Uh, even if both the Kinect and the Move were in development before the Wii launched, I think they were probably in development before the Wii launched, but after Nintendo's motion control plans were sort of known inside the industry from the typical ways that you know, like, you know, just rumors, knowing about accelerometer sales contracts, industrial espionage, just like, you know, it, it's, I find it hard to believe that Nintendo, or just knowing that Nintendo's doing some sort of crazy thing with control and knowing what technology is available, even if they had no direct knowledge of what Nintendo's plans are, I have to imagine that the move and the connect things the fact that they became products is because they saw, oh, well, look how successful this Wii stuff. And uh, for example, if the Wii had come out and flopped and nobody wanted to wave around a little remote, I don't think the Move and Connect would have been released as part of this uh, console generation. Uh, so it's not easy to prove one way or the other because the insiders aren't going to tell you what really went on. But my bottom line is that Nintendo bet the entire company on this crazy motion control thing and it paid off. And Microsoft and Sony stayed the course with their traditional controllers and then had to field something mid-generation to react to the, uh, the obvious threat of motion control. So it's not, it's not like, you know, Nintendo was better or smarter or whatever. Just they, they made a bet that Microsoft and Sony were not willing to make, and then Microsoft and Sony both had to react to it later with their own products. So let's, let's, break, let's take a quick break and do a sponsor break right here. Good, good idea. Let me tell you about Hover.com. Simplified domain management. That's it. You register .com, you register .net, you register .co, .tv, like us. They do all this stuff. But it's simple. You go there, Hover.com. Actually, go to Hover.com slash Dan sent me, but I'll tell you about that in a second. You go there, there's a little search box. You type something in a search box. It could be the domain name that you want. JohnSyracusa.com. You could type that in. It'll tell you if it's available or not. Or you can just type in some keywords. You could type in John space Syracuse, and it'll come up with some suggestions for you based on what is and isn't available. And it's, that's it. It's just like a search. You find a domain that you want. You find something that's available. There's a little plus box. You hit the plus box. Boom, you've registered it. What I really like, they, they talk about this. I don't think they talk about it enough, is they have such awesome DNS management built into this. So that when you go in there, there's a little my account. You, you hover over it and there's a little drop down. It'll show you right there the domains that you have. All you have to do is click one of them and you click the little thing that says DNS and you're updating it right there. And this is the thing. Whenever you see the, the kinds of DNS management that's built into a registrar, you're always like, eh, I guess it's okay because it's free. Theirs is actually really good. It's really easy to set it up. It's really easy to make changes. You hover over something, you click edit, and you just make the change. Save, done. It's really, really nice. They have built-in forwarding. They have built-in, uh, if you want it, email hosting. It's just, it's a really, really elegant, nice system. It's super easy. It's super fast. I was talking to somebody else about it, and they mentioned another registrar, and they said, you know, I, I listened to you, and I used your coupon, I'm trying out the hover.com. I said, but you know what? In the time I registered a domain name with them, they have not emailed me once since since they told me it was complete. That's it. They said your your domain registration is done. That was it. That was the only thing he said. I registered a domain at this other place. I won't tell you who it was. He said I've gotten five emails from them in the last two weeks. <laughs> it's like wh- why would I ever do that again? Hubbard leaves me alone. The only time you'll hear from them is when it's time to renew. 
Hover.com slash Dan sent me one word or just use the coupon code Dan sent me. You will get 10% off anything that you do there. And you can use that coupon code over and over and over and over again for everything that you do. They don't care. And in fact, doing so will support the show. So please go check those guys out. Thanks very much to Hover.com for making this show possible. Just registered a new one yesterday. So by the way, you can get johnsyracusa.asia for only mm. 20 bucks. I not, recommend that someone get that. Not interested. What about john-syracusa.com? Dashes. johnsyracusa.pro, 20 bucks. johnsyracusa.tv, 15 bucks. Should register some of these. Dot com or bust. Someday when, when uh, strange... Uh, top-level domains are accepted. We will be the old fogies who assign some extra credibility to <laughs> .com for an inexplicable reason. Like, commercial? Com? What do you, why do you care about a .com? <laughs> Everybody who's anybody does .xyz. Right. But no, to me, it's got to be .com. And you do, you, for the record, you do not have johnsyracusa.com. I do not, I believe. Now, <laughs> Sometimes if, I lose track of how many domain names John, I have. John, let's see, John... Syracusa.com. What is that? Who's got it? There's nothing. It says, still says loading. Nothing. I'm sure. I'm sure oh, there it is. Welcome to WDRE.com. Instantly see all available MLS listings of homes for sale and get immediate access to the most complete real estate data. Yeah. I can see why they could pick that name. Yeah, right? of course. It connects directly with yeah. what they do. It's got a little, the site looks like it was made circa 1988. <laughs> it's really bad. Maybe, maybe after that. I'm not sure if they they do have a form. So maybe this is early 90s. I, I think so. One of your fans should get this away from them. No. Take up a cause. And then they can they extract money from me to get it back. No, they present it to you as a gift. Yeah. I, I said fans, I, not haters. I would just use it as a redirect anyway. To what? I don't know. <laughs> Something else. All right. To a real estate site. Yeah, right. All right, moving on. Next yes. next up. So that is the, the Sony and Microsoft situation. They are con- they're hoping no one will notice that they're continuing to sell games for their six-year-old consoles. And, and to some extent, I think it kind of is working because for a certain generation of kids in, like in, the, in the hardcore gamer target demographic who you know their first console was like a playstation or playstation 2 or an xbox and they played with that and they got older and then the next generation came out and it would look so much better and oh my god it's awesome and everything and they bought that one and now they've just been playing that one and they're kind of used to the fact that like so this is my game console and i buy games for it i mean if you do something like that for six years and if those six years are like from the ages of 12 to 18 (laughs) as far as you're concerned like this is what life is like Uh, i bought a game console when i was a little kid and now I'm practically an adult, and during that whole time, I've just been buying games for my Xbox 360. And they're awesome, and I love them, and I just keep buying those games. And the idea of console generations, like, it starts to fade from memory. Like, hey, remember when consoles used to get updated all the time? Because, <laughs> you know, PC gaming is such a, a narrow hobby these days that so few people are into it. So maybe you don't know, like, how much more powerful available hardware is. Maybe you start to get the clue when you see, like, some little kid playing a game on, a, on an iPad that uses the Unreal 3 engine, and you're like... Wait, that's on a tablet? That looks better than my, you know, some of these 360 games that I've, you know. So maybe you start to get an idea, but if you're not into 
technology or anything. You could just kind of accept the fact, like, yeah, you know, I just keep buying games for this thing. Like, kind of like, you know, we had the DVD Blu-ray translation, but a lot of that has failed. But it's like, oh, I just keep buying DVDs. They look fine to me. Like, I've been buying DVDs for how many years now? You want me to buy a Blu-ray? Well, I guess if it comes with my next TV or something. But, you know, <laughs> you just kind of get used to the idea that you just keep buying these games. And they're forgetting that time marches on, right? And so that's why I think the the, the Sony and Microsoft presentations went over so well. Because... People aren't as interested in, like, they want, they're interested in the games. People aren't interested in movie theater technology. They want to know what's the next cool movie that's coming out. I want to go see Avengers. I want to go see Prometheus. You're like, oh, but don't you understand? Like, those are using the old projectors. Like, but I'm, I'm interested in, in the content. I'm not really interested in the technology. So people who are only interested in the content, when, when you do a presentation, they say, well, we've got some great new games coming out. Just like we've got some great new movies coming out. You don't really care or, you know, if you're not a, a gaming nerd or a technology enthusiast, you don't really care so much that uh, these games could look way better or play better or be more interesting if uh, the hardware was updated to not be six years old. So I think they mostly got a pass on the strength of their content there. But Nintendo's press conference, on the other hand, the Wii console is at the end of its life. Uh, and Nintendo does not have the luxury of having one more E3 where they say, look at these great Wii games that you can play because the Wii is so much less powerful than the other ones. It is basically a previous generation console uh, overclocked with a couple of features added to it and then a bunch of motion control stuff. It's not even high definition. And when it was introduced, that was that was amazing. You're going to introduce a new video game console. It's not going to be high definition. And that was, you know, six years ago, right? Now, anything not being HD is just crazy talk. Like what? What? Who sells anything that's not HD? Like, I don't think they should keep saying HD TVs. HD should just be expunged from the universe because what isn't HD? Everything is HD. HD is clearly here. And the Wii is not HD. Uh, and I think Nintendo may have exhausted the amount of standard definition games that it can port <laughs> to its platform, right? Any game that was made for a previous console generation or a game where the, the content can be scaled down to standard definition and still look okay. Like, nobody's making new standard definition games. Uh, even at this point, even people making iOS games, all their, their uh, resources and uh, content for the game is, you know, HD resolution, all their textures and all their everything like that. No, all new game development is in HD. So Nintendo just simply can't continue to sell the Wii or if they did it would be disastrous because the Wii is just so long in the tooth and you can't keep riding that horse uh, so Nintendo is going to end up being the first one to take the step into the next generation of video game consoles and again like I said in the beginning video game console generations are not like okay everyone agrees this year we're all going to put out a new hardware they're always staggered and it's always this this race to see do we want to be the first in the new generation like People are going to be be itching to see what what will the next generation of game console will be like. What amazing things can you do on those that you can't do on the current ones? Well, if we're first, we can get all those guys who are hungry for this new cool stuff. We'll be out there first, and we'll we'll grab those customers. Uh, but the disadvantage of being as first is that the other guys, like the, the 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 longer you wait, the better hardware you can field at the same price, or the lower your price can be. Right, so. Xbox 360 was the first out in this generation, and Microsoft felt it was very important to be the first to market in, in, in this generation to grab those those you know early adopters with their amazing new technology. Uh, but that means that the guys who waited longer could potentially field more powerful hardware because you know technology marches on, or they could field hardware that's equally powerful but for less money because things get cheaper to build. So 
maybe you don't want to be first, but do you want to be last? Do you want to go in the middle? Figuring out when you're going to go is, is difficult. And a lot of it has to do with how well sales are going on your current crop of consoles. So, uh, so Nintendo has got to move here, and they're going to end up being first. Uh, and the other reason Nintendo needs to move now is its latest handheld, held, handheld gaming system, the 3DS, has been a, a sales disaster. Uh, Nintendo has owned the portable gaming space for, for decades now. I actually looked it up. 23 years, that's more than one decade. 23 years, Nintendo equals handheld gaming. They had their Game Boy line of products, millions of Game Boy things, and then they, then they did the DS, uh, which incidentally, the DS, I think we mentioned this in the Blue Ocean show, was their, their first toe dip into the idea of Blue Ocean gaming, where we're not going to go after traditional gamers with Mario and Zelda games. We're going to try to sell this DS, this crazy-looking laptop-looking thing with two screens on it and a pen and a stylus. We're going to sell this to... <laughs> To non-gamers, we're going to sell a brain training game that, like, sell to senior citizens to keep their brains sharp or do math problems. We're going to sell Nintendogs where you pet a little dog with a stylus. These are not, you know, we're going to sell that to just little kids who aren't really interested in video games. And, and that worked out amazingly well for them. And they continue to own the space. But the 3DS, which is basically a Nintendo DS-looking th- thing with more powerful hardware and a 3D screen that you don't need glasses to view, that has not sold well. And they've taken big losses on that. And so they don't even have their, hand, their, their traditional domination of the handheld space to prop up their business. So they need to do something here. Uh, we'll talk about why the 3DS flopped in a little bit, but I think the reasons are obvious. Uh, so what they are uh, releasing, presumably this year for the holiday season, is called the Wii U. Now, I th- first, I think this is interesting because they're, they're committing to the Wii brand. I guess that makes sense because the brand is successful. Like, So Sony came out with the PlayStation. So the next console, they decided to put a 2 on the end. It's the PlayStation 2 because the PlayStation was so successful, right? Nintendo came out with something they called the Nintendo 64 in America anyway. Their next console was not called the Nintendo 128. It was called the GameCube. And the, the console after the GameCube wasn't called the GameCube 2. It was called the Wii. So they have been ditching games, I guess, uh, names. I guess it's because they're not as successful as they want. But the Wii, they're like, there's brand equity in this name. We like it. We're going to call this thing the Wii U. And that's not the only reason they're keeping the name. Uh, if you look at the console, uh, I put pictures of these in the show notes so you can pull it up, Dan. It, the, the Wii looks like, the Wii U looks like a Wii with rounded edges. It's still this very tiny, small thing. It looks like a CD-ROM drive from, you know, the, the 90s, where people still remember what CD-ROM drives look like when they were external. Uh and it looks like the Wii, but just, you know, a little bit different. Uh, the Wii U is high definition. I mean, yeah, it had to be. <laughs> if, they had, if they had released another console that was not high definition, they would have gone out of business. Uh, but it's not much more powerful than the PlayStation 3. So here is, is Nintendo's quote-unquote next-generation game console. And it is significantly more powerful than the Wii. But it is not significantly more powerful than the current crop of competing game consoles. So Nintendo continues to be about one generation behind in power. And that didn't seem to hurt them on the Wii. Uh, they are at least advancing somewhat. But now Why do you think they feel that it's okay to, to be a, gen- a full generation behind from the hardware well, standpoint? They, they look at how they did with the Wii, and it turned out not to matter. I mean, the thing was standard definition. Talk about being behind. Not yeah. only was it wimpy, but it was like, and it didn't it didn't hurt them. They they decided that the other factors are either more important or can make up for this deficit. Uh, it, it's the blue ocean strategy. Like the only people who care about console power are nerdy gamer type people. Everyone else just cares. Are the games fun? And I guess to some extent, do they look primitive compared to other games? Like regular people can tell that at a certain point. But as long as they stay within striking distance. Uh, they feel like it's okay. And I think we talked about this on the past show. The real problem is that 
if there's some cool new game uh, created by some great game developer and you simply can't get that game on your console because your console is not powerful enough, that's a problem. Because if everyone wants to play, you know, Mass Effect 3 and you have a Wii, you're like, oh, all my friends are talking about Mass Effect 3. I really want to get Mass Effect 3. It's like, well, Mass Effect 3 doesn't run on the Wii. Hmm. Sorry. Like, they, the game was targeted at high definition. That's the PC and the consoles. There's no way they can get it to run on the Wii. If we scale it down to run on the Wii, it would look like crap and no one would buy it. So you feel left out. So as long as you're within striking distance, you can do that. Now, the, the, the Wii U may still have the same problem. One of the launch titles for the Wii U that they talked about is Batman Arkham Asylum with some modifications, which is a game that was already out for the 360 and the PlayStation 3. And hey, you know, like, are we going to get excited about playing a game that was like from a year ago? Like, and it, lo- it looks just like as good as it did a year ago, and it takes advantage of the Wii U's new features, but it's still a little bit weird. So I, I think Nintendo would say, yeah, we realize that's a problem, but we- it worked out okay for the Wii. We're hoping it'll work out okay again. Uh, and now get- getting more to the specifics of the Wii U, the Wii U controller is the thing that I think most people wanted me to talk about, probably because I had two episodes about game console controllers, episode number 49, pinching the harmonica, and episode number 50, <laughs> maximum deflection in all directions. Great one. Uh, which was way too much talk about game controllers for some people, but not enough talk about game controllers for other people. I think there were more people who were disappointed than uh, because you didn't talk enough, not, yeah. not the other way around. So the Wii U controller... Wii U gamepad, as they call it, is not as big a departure as the Wii Remote was from all its previous controllers, but it is quite a departure. Now, I have to pull up the, the image here so I can look at it. You're looking at this picture I put of the Wii yeah, gamepad? Yeah, I've got them all up right here. All right, so I should wonder I should go off my notes or just stare at this thing. and Stare talk. at it. Yeah. So the Wii U controller looks like, I don't know, what would you say this looks like? looks like maybe one of those like leap pad things yeah 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 that's a good way of explaining it i mean if you can imagine something that is rectangular it it almost has maybe wider than 16 by 9 i'm not talking about the screen but i'm talking about the shape of the actual controller it's got the plus it's got in the upper right and the upper left it's got little joysticks thumb thumb style joysticks right Yep. Then uh, on the left-hand side below it, it's got the little plus pad. On the right-hand side below the joystick, it's got, uh, a in a diamond arrangement, four little buttons, A, B, and X, Y. It's got a start and select beneath those on the right. In the center of this thing, there is a screen that looks to be about 16 by 9. And then they're, they're above the screen on top, surrounded by a little gray bar inside it kind of submerged in the gray bar is a camera what we would now call a facetime camera for lack of a better (laughs) term there's a home button underneath it there looks like there are two i don't know what those little holes are for they microphones holes so i can tell if different people are shouting at it one of them is yeah i think and the battery light and then there's a strange symbol on the left hand side underneath the plus pad i don't know what that is there's a power button on the right at the edge of the screen. It's it's very weird. It's a very weird controller. It looks kind of like very a, weird. a humongous portable <laughs> gaming device. Like remember, if anyone remembers <laughs> what the what the Atari uh, what was the Atari Lynx look like? Like it's a big color screen with a bunch of wrapper stuff around it that you grab. 
Uh, it's flat, big and flat. Like oh, yeah. Tablet. Look at and this Atari Lynx. You nailed it. That's it's very similar to that. I'll put that and, in the show notes. And but it's big like it's clear. No one would no <laughs> one would release a portable gaming device that was this big. Right. Not only is it like big, it's it's thick. It's wide. It's not clearly not like a portable. Like you're not going to stick this into your backpack and go off to school because it's practically the size of a lunch tray or at least looks that big in the picture. You I guess can't, I yeah, you can't tell. And I'm, I'm trying to find a picture of it in context. And I found I found two two pictures, three pictures now, which I'll put in the show notes, that when you look at this thing, you think, oh, this is this is a kind of a cute, small little device. <laughs> but it's really not. It really is huge. Yeah, and that, that's, that's an interesting thing uh, where they're making something that's usable by adults. It's adult size. Like, this is way wider than a traditional game controller, mostly because it's got a, a pretty big screen in the middle of it. All right? Now... I don't know what, what, what can we say about this. From if people listen to the past episodes about video game controller design, I was holding up Nintendo as the maker of my favorite traditional console controller, which is the GameCube controller, and I talked in nitty gritty detail about the individual aspects of it that I liked. Well, looking at this controller, I see uh, a couple of interesting things related to my past criticisms of other controllers. The first is that uh, the control stick. On the left-hand side, the analog joystick that you move with your thumb appears to be in what I would have to consider the primary control location. In the past shows, I complained a lot about people making controllers that uh, if you just grab them with your hand and see where your thumb naturally falls, it, the position it falls on is the primary control location. And what they would put there, like on the, on the PlayStation controller, is the the digital D-pad that just does up, down, left, right. Uh and that's not the main control that you're going to use to control a modern video game. You're going to use the analog stick for most games. And so it was like backwards in my mind. Like the, the, the most often used control was not in the most comfortable place. So the Wii U controller puts the analog stick in the upper left-hand corner. That's where I assume, again, it's hard to tell without actually grabbing one of these things. But it appears to be the primary control location. And then the D-pad is in the secondary control location. Uh, the weird thing is on the other side of the controller... If we assume that the upper left corner is the primary control location for your left thumb, yeah. your right thumb lands on another analog stick. It doesn't it doesn't land on the buttons. Uh, this is weird. I, I'm not sure what to make of this. I mean, obviously for symmetry it looks good, uh, but wouldn't you assume that like what you know the, the control is still analog control and then buttons? Like you're going to be using the buttons. Now there are shoulder buttons and triggers and stuff like that, but. I think it's kind of an acknowledgement of the pervasiveness of two-stick first-person shooter games on consoles. Uh, so first-person shooters were not particularly popular franchise on console games, mostly because uh, they couldn't figure out a way to make the control decent. It's very difficult to move around by sort of driving the crosshair with a, with a joystick, basically, instead of using a mouse. Uh, so, But what most first-person shooters on consoles have come down to is that one analog stick is used to move your guy around and the other analog stick is used to change your point of view. So one stick makes you look up, down, makes you look left and right, and the other one makes you move forward, back, and translate or right and left without changing your point of view. So if that's what you're going to do, then uh, this controller is well-suited to that because readily falling under both of your thumbs are those two analog sticks, completely symmetrical, right across from each other in the in the most comfortable position and then you still have your two trigger fingers to put to hit the shoulder buttons and then there's triggers underneath this thing there's uh, there's left and right triggers and there's z triggers underneath your middle fingers so you have potentially four separate buttons 
and two different analog controls for your thumbs, uh, no need to move any of your fingers anywhere. So that may be what they're aiming at there. Uh, the, the thing that disappoints me most about this controller is that they ditched the octagonal surround around the joysticks, which is one of my favorite features in Nintendo controllers. I talked about at length in the past shows. It's basically a rotated stop sign type of shape uh, that makes it so it's very easy to find what exactly up, exactly down, left, right, and in the 45-degree angles are because you can feel it by taking the joystick and pushing it all to the edge and finding that little place where it, with a little dent where it goes in. These plastic surrounds are completely circular, so you've lost the ability to know what exactly forward, back, left, and right is. Um, they also have buttons on them where you can press in, press in on the joysticks. That's a feature from, uh, I think, both the Xbox 360 and the PlayStation controllers do that. I've never been a fan of that control, but you know, as long as it doesn't interfere with regular moving of the stick, that's fine. Um, the camera and mic are interesting because that makes it like, so is this a con- is this a controller or is it is it like a tablet? Like, is this like an iPad where you know there's a front facing camera and I can like video chat with people? Uh, you know, it starts it starts looking again more like less like a controller for some game you're going to play on a TV and more like a Fisher Price iPad. My first iPad device <laughs> where, you know, you can you can give this to a kid and they can do video conference. Maybe you don't want to give your kid your $500 sleek glass iPad, but you could give a kid this and they could, you know, do video chatting on it. So it's got the front facing camera on there. The little thing underneath the D-pad, that's an NFC sensor, a near field communication sensor. Uh, the uses for that in gaming are pretty obvious because they've already had a lot of games that involve buying little toys and then you put the little toy, the little toy has a little, you know, chip inside it or whatever, and you put the little toy on that little sensor and like suddenly that toy appears in the game or you can do it with trading cards or all sorts of all sorts of other sort of sensing type things where you can sell other physical goods that have little sensors on them that can communicate through near field communication. So you, you know, put it on or near that spot. So I'm sure Nintendo will go nuts with that, you know, for Pokemon games and whatever else third party people want to make. But it's the type of thing Nintendo does this with a lot of their consoles. Like, what can we stick in there? We can do a camera. We can do sticks. We can do triggers. We can do a bunch of buttons. Uh, you know, we can do an NFC sensor. Throw it on there, right? Uh, it also has an IR uh, emitter on the front of it. So you can use this giant fisher Pricey thing as a remote control for your television, without even turning on the Wii U. So it becomes kind of like a big smart remote, you know, because it's got that that feature inside it there. Uh, and in the center of it here is this big screen. And as far as I can tell, it's a pressure-sensitive screen, not capacitive. So it, it squishes in, you know. That's why you can use a stylus with it. It doesn't have right. to be one of those it weird does come. It comes with styluses. a stylus. Yeah, they, what else can, you know, sure. We'll throw a stylus in there. This thing has got everything. It's, it's kind of like, like everything <laughs> but the kitchen sink is on this thing. Right. You know. And so... The, the thing about the screen is like, well, what am I? Why is there a screen on this? Do I look at the screen when I play the game? Yeah, that's that's the first thing that I thought is why, and that was what I was. I'm glad you're addressing this because that was the first thing that I had is, are you supposed to be you looking at the screen or looking at the TV? Do you want to look back and forth between? The yeah, changing changing your focal length all the time. And how long do you want to do that for before your neck gives out? Right, so Nintendo has Nintendo has answers for this. It's kind of like when they released the DS, where the, it's got two screens. How do you play a portable gaming system with two screens? Where right. do I look? But one of them is touch sensitive, but the other isn't. But I touch the screen while using the buttons, and uh, the DS was wildly popular. But it is a little bit weird now for the Wii U. Uh, this is Nintendo's thing. They, I forget. I should have put this quote down, but one of the I think it was a Miyamoto quote saying uh, that uh, 
good solutions, uh, good products solve many problems at once. So this thing certainly has capabilities out the wazoo. And it's usually up to Nintendo to say, okay, if I give you this gigantic board-shaped controller with these a million little things poking out of it, just bristling with controls and technology and cameras and microphones and sensors. And um, by the way, this thing has accelerometers and gyroscopes in it too. Of course, of course it does. Because why wouldn't it, right? Do you want Do you want the actual quote? You got that one for me? I, of course. Okay, what is it? Uh, this is uh, an interview that was posted in Eurogamer.net. And uh, he says, uh, a good idea is something that does not solve just one single problem, but rather can solve multiple problems at once. It's easy for people to come up with a good idea that can focus on one problem, but that's not good enough. So forever I'm sending back new ideas from the planners. And I say, this time I can't use your idea, but please keep it in your mind and work on new ideas again and again. And then you'll be able to find out some new good ideas that can solve many other issues at one time. Then that's the idea that we can use. In the show notes, great interview, by the way. Yes. Yes. So Nintendo tends to show the way and say, with all these stuff, let us show you confused game developers and customers <laughs> what you can do when you have this kind of thing. And so uh, there are many possible options. All right. So the first option, it, it bears noting, is not to even use this controller at all. Because the Wii U supports all of your Wii accessories. It supports that Wii, the Wii balance board, that thing you stand on for fitness games. It right. supports your Wii motes, your nunchucks, the motion, you know, the motion plus gyroscope thing that's built into them. All of that is supported. All right? So that is one option. Is You can make a Wii game and you don't have to use this thing at all. Uh, it, the Wii U game. And you don't have to use this controller at all. You can just use the controls that you're used to, port your games that use those traditional controls uh, as well. It's also another controller that I'll talk about after we get done with this one. Uh, but here's your other options, all right? So one thing you can do with this screen is you can show exactly what would appear on the television screen. And why would you want to do that? Well, the thing Nintendo is promoting is that say you're playing a game and then someone else comes over and they want to use the big TV in the living room. But you're in the middle of a game. To have Some games, not all games, this is not a feature of the system. This is something you could choose to do as a game developer. You say, okay, I will pause this game and continue playing it on the screen on my little gamepad, and you can just change the channel to whatever you want. In other words, it's just a smaller version of the screen that you that, that your television screen. Uh, basically, you know, and as you noted, it's 16 by 9. It's basically a tiny HD television screen right in your thing. So you get to go off somewhere else and continue your game while someone else gets to use the big TV. Uh, this, of course, relies on uh, the game that you are playing using the gamepad as the control, because obviously if you're playing a game with the Wiimote and Nunchuck, uh, I guess you could do it technically, but it'd be weird to like walk out of the room with this little tiny screen and like prop it up somewhere and then be waving your remote and nunchuck around to try to continue playing the game. Uh, so it's a secondary screen for taking the game away from the television room. The second thing is that say you want to do something that the Wii can do. Uh, maybe it's not a playing game. Maybe it's just checking the weather or going online to their online service or sending a message to somebody, but someone else is using the TV or you don't want to turn on the TV. You can just grab this little thing and do all your stuff there. And you can imagine like tablet style applications and other things that take place entirely on the gamepad, not on the television at all. And there are actually advantages to that. This brings up kind of the Apple TV control thing. Like, uh, you know, you can't touch a television screen. That's not fun. But what if there's an application that you just use on, on, you know, on an iPad? Well, that's a much more natural environment for certain kinds of applications. So maybe there are certain things you would want to just do on the little gamepad, whether the television is on or not. Uh, so that, that's one aspect of it. Uh, it gets more interesting when you start saying, I'm going to mix this into a game. And that's when you show something on the television screen and something different 
on the gamepad. You can get lots of different kinds of asymmetric gameplay where you have multiple participants or even just one participant. But, uh, you know, it's more interesting when you have multiple participants playing and the person holding the gamepad has a different view of the game world than the other people and maybe a different goal as well. Like you'll be playing a kind of a, a chase game where the people who look at the television screen are all running away and you are trying to find them. Uh, with your little screen and they can't see where you are because they don't you know this is the problem with multiplayer games on television you can look at the other guy's area of the screen oh he's high he's he's gonna he's ready to snipe me from up there yeah and and they could have a totally different view Uh, or they could have a view of the overall field of play uh, like as you know like a real-time strategy game or something like that where it's uh it's basically like multiplayer at the television in all in the same room multiplayer uh, and by the way, the, the Wii U supports two of these gamepads. So you could have two players with their own separate views and then a third player and a fourth player splitting the, the main television screen. So uh, it's very possible to have different kinds of multiplayer gameplay like that. Uh, you can also do, in a single-player game, incorporate the screen into the larger screen. They show lots of things where someone holds this holds this screen up to the television and it provides them a different view of the television screen. Like, you're not actually looking through the screen, but that's the idea. Like, imagine if this was a magic window that showed you x-ray vision, and you hold it up to your television screen, and what you see on your little the little gamepad screen is a, an enhanced view of what, you, what your thing is pointing at. And with all of the gyroscopes and accelerometers and everything, they can pull this off. They can tell where you're pointing and do all this kind of 3D stuff. It, it just gets even more ridiculous from there. One of the things they showed was put the gamepad on the ground uh, in a golf game and what you see on the gamepad is your golf ball sitting on a tee and then you take your Wii remote like a golf club stand over your virtual golf ball swing and hit it and the golf ball leaves your gamepad and flies off into your television screen Uh, another one of the ones that they had was a a ninja type game where you had throwing stars and the throwing star appears on the gamepad and you flick it off your gamepad with your hand and it flies off into the television screen all sorts of you know, these are mostly like proof of concepts or demos, not necessarily uh, uh, specific games that are going to appear. But the possibilities are tremendous when you have two screens that are aware of each other's presence that are all, you know, powered by the same uh, system with touch controls and gyroscopes and other controllers. This opens up a tremendous amount of gaming possibilities, much more so than on the Wii or on the, any of the other consoles. Now, that that can be a blessing and a curse because with all these possibilities... Which one of those will work? Uh, which which will make for fun, interesting games and which will just be weird gimmicks that no one ever tries again? The number of possibilities is daunting, but I, I'm pretty confident that Nintendo will be able to make some interesting games on this platform. Uh, now, the final controller for the system is a new controller from Nintendo called the Pro Controller. Do you have the, the screenshot of pictures of that? Up? I do. It looks for all the world like a Nintendo-fied Xbox 360 controller. Yeah. Only with... And you, a, with you, have, you have the... Xbox 360 controller linked so people can flip back and forth. Yeah, it looks very similar. The main difference is that they've got two of the little uh, joy, the thumbsticks at the top, and they've got... Well, that's really the only difference is that they're on the upper left and upper right instead of the one that's down closer to where your thumb would actually be. And this screams even more loudly that they are into the idea of, of dual-stick first-person shooter games. Right. That, Mostly what you're doing is both your thumbs are on joysticks, your fingers are on triggers and shoulder buttons, and then that's what you're going to be using. You need to get that? I didn't even know my phone was in this room. No, I do not need to get it. Why don't you get that? We'll do the third sponsor. All right. Go take your call. Uh, third sponsor, final sponsor. Thanks very much to AppsFire.com. Uh, now, listen, these guys are doing great work helping people who have an app 
get their app discovered. I mean, think about this. Think about the iTunes store. There's over a million apps in there. You come out with an app and it's a cool app and you just want people to try it. You just want people to try it. How do you get it out there? Well, maybe maybe Apple features it. Maybe they feature it in the iTunes store. Wow, it got featured. That's really cool. And then a day later, it's not featured anymore. And what's going to happen? Well, unfortunately, it kind of out of sight, out of mind. Well, these guys can help change all of this. This is where AppsFire really excels because they build these really awesome guides that are just for these kinds of things that help people find the apps that are awesome. They help people discover your app. Now, if you don't happen to have an app and you're like, well, I don't care about this. Well, actually, you should care about it. You should check these guys out because they're going to help you find the apps that are really awesome. They're going to help you find the apps that you can't find. I mean, I do this all the time with my kid. I'm like, how am I going to find a, how am I going to find him a new game? He asked for a new game this week. Sometimes we get a new game every couple of weeks. Well, how do I figure out which, which game the game could spend an hour looking through all these games? It's nuts. Again, appsfire.com has the answer for you. So they're doing something nice. If you want to go and get your, uh, your app listed in here, they've got a special thing. You go to appsfire.com slash five by five, or you can email them five by five at appsfire.com. This is just, it's a great way to get quality users interested in your apps. What do you get if you do that? Well, if you use the code five by five, you'll get 10% off when you start your campaign up with them. And for the first 20 mobile developers that reach out, they're going to give you a free copy of the 5x5 radio app. What could be better? So go check these out, appsfire.com slash 5x5. And uh, I hope you find them as useful as I do. Thanks very much to AppsFire for making the show possible. Are you done with your call, John? And it was another one of those random numbers that I don't know that calls my cell phone. Yeah. I don't give out my cell phone number to anybody. I don't know how these people get it. And the few times I have answered it, it's always like a wrong number or someone speaking another language. And it's just annoying. The phone happened to be in this room because it was charging. It has been banished. <laughs> I like your ring. It's pretty cool. Yeah. The, it's the default. Sure. So the Pro Controller. Yes. Dual stick. It's like a dual stick first person gaming controller because right. that's that's what it's like. It's, it's Nintendo acknowledging that there is a large crop of games that are built around a controller like this because this controller is the one is very similar to the one in the PlayStation and the Xbox. The Xbox has the the analog sticks offset, so one of them is in the non primary position. The PlayStation has both of them in the non primary position because Sony is dumb, uh, and this one has a D-pad and four buttons and it's got two shoulder buttons. It's just kind of like insert generic console controller here. Like if you had, if you had to make a diagram of a generic game console controller for like, uh, you know, like a slide and a presentation and you didn't want, you didn't want to use a, a copyrighted photo or a particular game console controller, what you would draw would be something like this. Like, it's almost like an idealized iconic version of the real thing. It's like, no one would make a controller look exactly like this. But this is kind of like what a controller looks like. They're like kind of a boomerang-shaped thing, and they got buttons, and they got sticks. And and someone, a gamer who looked at it would be like, yeah, that's kind of what controllers look like. But you put the two sticks at the top, and no real controllers are like that. So it's, you know, good try, Mr. Graphic Designer. I know I know what you're trying to get at as a controller, but it looks kind of funny. Well, this is a real thing. Uh, and it looks very much like, uh, you know, someone's idea of a, of a game console. A Homer Simpson-esque design style yeah. of a... Oh, we'll put a we'll put a controller here. We'll put one here. We'll put this button here. We'll put this here. It has everything. 
It has everything. Well, that's more like the gamepad, but this, the, the <laughs> Pro Controller is just more like, uh, yeah, just a generic controller type thing. And it, it again loses the octagonal surround, which I'm very sad about. I, it's very difficult to make comments about controllers without holding them in your hand, but just looking at these pictures, I have a hard time believing that this thing will dethrone the GameCube controller as my favorite traditional handheld game controller, mostly mm. because the games that I like playing, one thumb is on the directional control and the other thumb is on buttons and all these buttons these buttons are all the same size they're in the the super nintendo layout with x y a b they're in a perfect diamond pattern the no one button is more primary than another and they're all offset i really like the idea of the gamecube control with one big fat button and then progressively smaller buttons for for different distinct functions that you can feel for with your fingers and uh yeah so what you end up here with the wii u is a little thing that looks kind of like the existing Wii with a bucket full of controllers for you to use it with. It's like, I mean, we literally have a Tupperware tub containing controllers in our living room. And I think most people do by this point. Because think of the things you can use to play games with. Like if you if you assembled all the possible peripherals that you can play games with the Wii U with, it would be like the balance board with a bunch of four remote control looking things connected to four nunchuck controls and then maybe some steering rail peripherals or some gun peripherals and then four pro controllers and then two game pads and it's it's insane it's you know the console itself is now completely dwarfed by the number of things that human beings hold or wave around or look into or whatever uh to to interact with this thing and the other consoles are moving that direction too because like they they launched it was like hey it's a game console and it comes with up to four controllers and you hold them in your hands and they have sticks and buttons on them go to town but then you got the move, which is like, okay, well, hold this thing with the glowing ball, and then hold the second thing, which is <laughs> with the joystick, and these have accelerometers in them. And then the connect, you're you're potentially not holding anything, just waving your arms and legs around. But you could stand in front of the connect and wave your arms and legs around while also holding things, you know. So maybe the, you know, the Xbox 720 or whatever the next generation console is going to have connect-like functionality built in, but also have 50 things that you can hold in your hands with joysticks and buttons and accelerometers on them. Uh, things are going in a strange direction here, where. <laughs> We're not so, seems like we're not so interested in the box that you connect to your TV and what the guts are, and, but we're very interested in the things you hold in your hand or put on your body or move around or through or in front of to interact with them. Uh, the the final thing Nintendo's trying to do with the Wii U here, uh, and I think this is a recognition of how they've uh, failed with the 3DS, is they see, you know, what's eating their portable gaming business? Why did the 3DS not sell? It seems like it's just like more of the same good stuff. Everyone loved the, the Game Boy. Everyone loved the DS. This is the 3D version of the DS that should sell like hotcakes, right? They are being crushed by general purpose computing devices that are also portable and play games. And that's, you know, the euphemistic way of saying the iPad and the iPhone. You know, iPhones and iPads are selling like crazy. And once you have an iPad in the family and you have a kid in the family, kid will find iPad and kid will play games on iPad. And that is a kid who could have potentially been playing on a 3DS or a DS. Uh, and the same thing with phone games. Portable gaming, adults do it on their phones and kids increasingly do it on their iPod touches or iPads. And portable gaming often means portable around the house. Like they're up in their bedroom playing some game on, on their iPad or on their little old iPod touch that they got to hand me down from their parents. Uh, Nintendo and pretty much everyone else is being crushed by the wave of mobile computing. The fact that we're all walking around with little mobile, uh, little, little computers that are handheld, battery powered, and that are starting to have as much uh, power as certainly as handhelds, 
but starting to creep up on the power of the the current crop of you know actual game consoles and game developers are taking notice and customers are taking notice someone's saying like 55% of the revenue in the iOS app store is games Apple is the big dog in the game industry if you look at you know what's happening now not who won the last round of game consoles that you sold Apple, as far as I know, wasn't even at E3. Certainly, they didn't have a big presentation at E3. Like, the press conferences, here's the Sony press conference and the Microsoft press conference and the Nintendo press conference and a few press conferences from individual game makers who make games across lots of platforms who have big properties to promote. But Apple didn't do a big presentation there. Apple was just not there at all. It's kind of like how Apple was never at Comdex, which was the big trade show back, you know, many, many years ago. Right. Uh, well, we just show at Macworld. We're not going to be at Comdex. Or, or if we're going to be there, we're going to be there in a diminished form. We're not going to like, it's not going to be a big thing. We've got our own show. And then Apple even bowed out of Macworld. Oh, no. Well, that's not really our thing. We'll just do our own presentation. So Apple is not even, it's almost like Apple is just separating itself from like maybe what if you use as a sinking ship all those guys making those traditional game devices trying to figure out a way to appeal to people and apple's just quietly making ipads and iphones and ipod touches and selling tons of games and the game makers are taking notice the game makers are getting in cozy with apple because that's just they just make money hand over fist with those things the purchasing experience is better you don't have to go to a store and buy discs and so you know all these things are every one of these game console manufacturers is looking at apple and slowly, sometimes grudgingly, sometimes in a panic, trying to do what they do. We got to sell games over the internet. We can't just make people buy discs. Uh, you know, we have a problem because our games are humongous. But look, Apple's selling Infinity Blade. It's like a gigabyte, and they're selling a lot of copies, so it's possible. So we need to get on that. And uh, th- you can do other stuff from an iPad. So we need to put web browsers on all of our game console. Every game console out there has some way you can use a crappy web browser with your controller. Oh, our web browsers are crappy. No one's using them. Or maybe, you know, a Nintendo and the Wii said, we'll have, we'll have a thing that can show you the current weather and you'll be able to send little messages to people. Uh, and like, everyone is looking at what happened to, to the point where Nintendo is, is fielding a game controller that looks like an iPad. iPads are popular. Here's an iPad. Look, and we put joysticks on it. We've got buttons. We can do everything. You can touch the screen. It's just like an iPad. Uh, very much a reaction to you know to what Apple has done, and Nintendo's big selling point for Wii U is something they call Miiverse, which is their sort of online social network centered around gaming. Online services for Nintendo are kind of like what kind of like what online services are for for Apple. Uh, it's their weak point. They've traditionally wanted to do something in this space to say, oh, you can game with your friends online and you can chat with them and so on and so forth, but it, all their efforts tend to end up like ping. <laughs> it's like, well, we made a thing and it works, but it doesn't seem like people are into using it. Apple gets away with this because Apple provides you access to the actual web and, you know, lots of exciting things happen there and YouTube and all this stuff they don't have to do there and, you know, Facebook and, and uh, you know, every- Apple doesn't have to make those things. They just give you devices that allow you to access them. Nintendo is like, we're going to make a social network centered around gaming where you can talk with all your friends and your me's can all meet each other and you can see other people who are playing these games too and and talk about the level you just played and how you died and how it's difficult. And I have very dim hopes that, that Nintendo will be able to pull this off. It's just, it's a very difficult problem. Like they even talk, when I saw them talking about this and say, showing these little avatars and this little Miiverse area where you get to see people saying things about what they, the games they just played, the first thing I thought is uh, if you allow a bunch of gamers to type things that appear on other people's screens, they're all going to be filled with profanity and terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible comments. But, but that's easy enough to filter. 
Well, that's historically, it's been Nintendo's big thing is we are a family friendly company. We do not want to allow anyone to communicate with anyone because you get chat roulette in about 30 seconds. Yeah. And, you know, of course, these things have cameras on. So they made on their, their other multiplayer things like the only way you can play a multiplayer game is to exchange your like whatever it was your Nintendo ID, which is like the 17 digit number. And you had to give you had to exchange that in this long handshake procedure. And then finally, you can talk to this trusted person, never exposing you to like the wider world. Right. But that is a super big pain in the butt. And only really hardcore people who are desperate to play Mario Kart against each other would do that. So they've been gradually scaling that back, but they don't want to expose you to the wider world. Uh, And, you know, it's always easy to filter out profanity. Is it easy to filter out racism and sexism? People are very inventive in ways that they can be insulting and disgusting. It's very difficult to automatically filter that stuff out. And the second thought I had was, this is a, a place where I can get games spoiled because I will turn mm. my system on and see a game that I just bought appearing on this little menu screen and someone say, hey, I just beat the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I didn't know there was a blah, blah, blah. You're <laughs> spoiling the game for me. So Nintendo addressed this in their press conference. They said, and we'll have a way to prevent you from being spoiled. Like they know it's an issue, but just saying that makes me think like, how? How are you going to prevent me from being spoiled? You're not going to show me comments from people who are farther in the game than me? Uh, just because they're not farther in the game doesn't mean they already didn't already finish it once and they're over a friend. Like, how are you going to prevent me from being spoiled? Am I only going to be able to see comments from people I explicitly friend? Like, obviously, in all the demos, little things are popping up with people with, you know, grammatically correct, complete sentences saying pleasant things like, boy, that boss was tough. I had a real problem. Have you tried to beat him? What did you, you know, that's not what those speech bubbles are going to look like because they're not going to be written by the marketing department. They're going to be written by actual human beings. And as anyone who's played Xbox Live or PC games online knows, actual human beings who play games do not communicate in that way. <laughs> and they communicate in a different way, a way that is not pleasant. Uh, so uh, Nintendo wants to go in that direction, but I see many difficulties ahead. And, of course, they also have a touchpad with a camera. So they, they showed video conferencing. Oh, you can talk to your kids at home with video conferencing. But you know they're not going to be like an internet video conference thing. So is it going to be, well, I can only talk to other people who also have a Wii U? Maybe that's interesting enough. Maybe it'll be easier to use that than to use FaceTime. Maybe people are more likely to have a $300 Wii U in the house than they are to have a $500 iPad. Uh, I don't know. I, I see what Nintendo's trying to do. I I just I, I don't think you can compete against the entire internet and Apple's platform by trying to reproduce everything they do within your own little world by having Nintendo equivalent of email, the Nintendo equivalent of Facebook, the Nintendo equivalent of Twitter. Like almost every screen you see in the in the in Nintendo's press presentation reminds you of a screen and a property that you already use. Like, oh that looks like a Twitter stream. Oh, that looks like a Facebook page. Oh, that looks like email. But they're not, right? They're not open protocols. They're not building on the web. They're not building on other services. They're not integrating Facebook and Twitter and other things. They're trying to build their entire universe, an entire me-verse inside their game console where you will do all the same things that you did elsewhere. And it's, it's very similar to how, you know, without Facebook integration, when Apple tried to launch Ping. It's like, here's another place where you can go where you can make friends with people and send them things back and forth. And people just didn't want to have another place to do that. Google Plus kind of suffered the same type of fate where is this another place where I have to go create relationships with people and transfer information back and forth? And most people already have the places where they do that. And if this one isn't different enough, it wasn't enough to make people stay there. Maybe they move there from Facebook. But if you're still in Facebook, doing Google Plus as well seems like too much. It's not different like Twitter, where we all went to Twitter because a lot of people didn't have an equivalent. It wasn't, it, there wasn't an equivalent service there. Uh, so 
Yeah, someone in the chat room says the Nintendo high Indian says Nintendo is trying to be like Disney in a sense. It's true, but even Disney these days has trouble pulling off the whole like we have the entire universe things. But at least they only have to do it within the realm of a theme park. This is supposed to be like a lifestyle. Wake up in the morning and grab your Wii gamepad, check out the weather, and see if anyone sent you a message, and maybe you know play a couple minutes of a game. And like the world is not that Nintendo centric. The reason the Wii sold so well is because everyone wanted to try out this crazy thing where you wave this little thing around and you play games. And it turns out that waving that thing around is really fun. That's why the Wii succeeded. All the other stuff they did with the Wii, with the with you know the the little messages to people and trading your Mii's back and forth and and checking the weather first thing in the morning and having the system wake from sleep really easily and having it always be connected online and, and getting things pushed to you. That is not, you know, that didn't work out the way Nintendo thought it did. It was all about boy, it turns out to be really fun to, to make a fool of yourself waving around a remote control in front of a television. <laughs> and I think it will be fun also to do all these sorts of things you can do with this crop of controllers. But the network stuff, I don't know. And, and if you look at one final point, if you look at what Microsoft and Sony are doing, they're also trying to compete with Apple, but in a different way. They're saying, okay, Apple is selling you music and, and TV shows and movies and their, their Apple TV integrates with Netflix. And, you know, so... All the current crop of games consoles, including the Wii, believe it or not, which is crazy pants to me because it's a standard definition console, have Netflix integration. Because Netflix isn't everything. If you buy a coffee cup, it comes with Netflix integration. Right? It's just, it's everywhere. <laughs> Most of it is awful. Most of the Netflix integration is awful, but it's there, right? So, so Microsoft and Sony are like, we want to sell, rent you movies that you can see. We want to give you access to Netflix. We want to, you know, we want to sell you things through this device somehow. It's kind of like Amazon with the Kindle. It's a, you know, colorful gateway into which you can give us money. We'll be the middleman for you there. So they are going heavily on, on, you know, video and music and other kind of services or even like things like, you know, buying games online, renting it. They, they want it to be a commerce engine in the same way that Apple's going that direction. Of course, Apple's got, got it on all fronts. They've got the commerce stuff going for them. They've got the gaming stuff. They've got complete access to the Internet. And everyone is trying to figure out how they can compete with Apple in this way while still while still trying to get that that dollar from the hardcore gamer. Uh, so I think that's probably all I have to say about E3. I'm I'm will be buying a Wii U. Uh, I really hope it does work out for Nintendo because they desperately need a win after the disaster of the 3DS and the Wii being really really long in the tooth. Uh, I'm really interested in the content that's coming to the other consoles, and I like the idea of more of a focus on content than on the thing. Again, it's more of a focus on how what kind of, what is the crop of movies that's coming out this year, not have you heard about the latest projector that the theaters have? It's, I guess it's kind of an analog in 3D where, like, are you excited about 3D? No, I'm excited about good movies. Are there good movies in 3D? Does the 3D make them good movies? Are there good movies that just happen to be in 3D? I just want good movies. I'm not particularly interested in the technology used to make them or display them. Well, I just want good games. I am slightly more interested in the technology used to make them and display them because gaming technology still has so, so far to go to uh, to even just to catch up with the current state of the art that's available in PC games. Uh, so I really want there to be a very powerful next generation of console. I wish the Wii U was more powerful. I hope the PlayStation 4 and Xbox 720 or whatever they're called are massively more powerful than the current crop. I fear that they will not be simply because both Nintendo and Apple have proven that you can sell tons of games and make lots of people happy and be a success without having the most powerful hardware or even close to the most powerful hardware. So what do you think? Are you excited to buy a Wii U? 
No. Are you going to buy a Wii U? Well, if I if or when I do, it will be much later. Uh, I'm not going to be getting it first or early. If your son knows that something eh, like the Wii U exists, will that care. change the answer? We have, a, we have a Wii and we barely use it. Right, but... He doesn't care. Oh, once he gets to the age where he starts going over to like play dates at kids' houses and they have a Wii U and he plays one game on it that happens to grab him, you might have a problem on your yeah, hands. Maybe. I mean, he's got an iPad. He loves yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's the iPad. It's, yeah. If if he knew the iPad existed but you didn't have one, that would be a situation. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was like, I could have that iPad. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's possibly, probably, but, you know, well, you just say, well, no, they have that. Well, you have this. You have an iPad. Yeah. Okay. He loves the iPad. I mean, compared to the Wii, it's just, it's not even close. Not even close. I mean, in some ways, it's not a fair fight because that, that iPad costs way more than the Wii does. But on the other hand, that's the, that's the magic of a general purpose device. You didn't buy it to be a game entertainment device for your kid. It serves many purposes. You pick the iPad over TV. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? It's right there in your hand. You get to touch it. That's a good title. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think we're done. All right. So what can people do? They can go to 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 71. And all of the links, everything we discussed, everything in the show notes, are all, all to be found right there. They can go there. They can click all the links. They can see the pictures. They can read the entire interview. Uh, everything that we've mentioned. They're all right there waiting for them. 5x5.tv slash hypercritical slash 71. They want to get in touch with us while they're on that page. They can click the little link that says contact John and Dan, and uh, they'll be taken right to our contact page. And they can send us an email. You can also follow you on Twitter. You're J. Uh, no, you're not. You're just Syracusa. S I R A C U S A. Nosy Syracusa. Nosy. And I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter. And please consider rating the show. It I notice. I think people have been listening to the, to our plea to rate the show because all of a sudden it was showing back up in like what's hot. It was in the what's hot section. So whatever you guys have been doing, thank you. And keep, keep doing that because it helps new people find the show. Don't forget to write reviews, please. Yes, he, li- he likes that. I, I crave reviews that are written. <laughs> so do that. And uh, we really appreciate you tuning in. And thanks, everybody, for uh, listening to Gaming 101 with John Syracuse. That's just an idea for your new show. Oh, did we not supposed to announce that you're doing the new gaming show? I am not. Okay. That's, okay. that's a good way to keep it secret. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back. Now, we are recording next week. It will be a little bit later than usual. I want to mention this. Next week is WWDC week. You will still be recording. We will be doing it also on Friday, but we're going to be doing it several hours later. So check 5x5.tv slash schedule, and you can find out just when if you want to tune in live or get the 5x5 radio app in the iTunes store, and you'll get a push notification when we go live, and you can listen to it wherever you are. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Bye, John. Bye.